less stress, more time, more money. Welcome to the Cash Flow Contractor interview. Martin, how long have you known Chris Pettigrew? I don't know. I, I have to say, I don't really know him. <laughs> He's know, a complicated four, person. To four know. or five years? <laughs> That's for four, sure. Four or five yeah, years? I was, trying, five I was years. thinking this morning, literally, how did we meet? Um, you introduced me to Tammy Hasselwander. It wasn't the other way around. That's right. That's right. JTC, John Thomas yes, Construction. That's it. That guy, because I was asking him, you know, we were at a point at FPS where. That's right. We were, struggling, we were struggling on how to manage the business and how to manage every as, you know, financial aspect of it. And I was, I was poking around with people asking them if, you know, they knew any business consultants that could come in and help me with things. And, you know, a month later I got contacted and then that was right. Jason, Jason Tums, had recommended, yeah. Hey, this guy, guy I know is having a kind of a group get together thing might be something you want to go here that's, that's right we went that's when john and i came down right 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 so, nice. yeah we can give a shout out to jason he has a uh, hiring method yeah uh, for tradesmen where people get ranked but anyway he JTC. does really good for the uh, fire alarm industry in oklahoma he is a uh, the good thing about him if you don't want to hire somebody off the street that's green you can go to Jason and you can get a guy that's already vetted, licensed. He may not have any experience, but he's ready to go. He's fresh and he's temporary. So if you don't want him, you know, say if it doesn't work out within 60 days, you can just be like, Jason, look, this guy's not going to work right. out. Then you can have the option of hiring. But for short-term staffing on fire alarm jobs, he's been wonderful. Right. Because that's cool. He has a nice pool to choose from. And he ranks those guys yes. on things like do they show up? He's got right, apps right. that follows them. Do yeah. they have a driver's license? And you yeah. know, a few of those things like that that mm-hmm. kind of wind up mattering in the yeah, in the absolutely. Water. You know, he he tried to he tried to work with the sprinkler end of it, and he did for a while, but they were having he got to I guess he got to see how bad injuries were in sprinkler, or how how bad they could be, and I guess he had a couple of injuries, and he backed off of the sprinkler labor contracting. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, so why are we talking about sprinklers? Yard sprinklers? No, no. We have this trouble when we do their ads. <laughs> fire, not, sprinklers. Fire, fire sprinklers. Fire sprinklers. So fire suppression, technically, right. but fire suppression can fall under almost every class of fire extinguishing system there is. So yeah. we call them fire sprinklers. Well, yeah. what what is your company? FPS Technologies. Fire and Protections. Fire Protection Safety. 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 That's right. Uh, went that's to school right. at Oklahoma State University for fire protection safety engineering. And that's so interesting to me. Like, did you, when you went to college, you know that, like, you were going to do that kind of engineering? No. Because, I, I mean, I didn't even know that was a degree, to be honest. Is it pretty popular at OSU? It's the number one place in the United States to get a fire protection engineering degree. Right. Wow, that's awesome. University of Maryland is second to it, and then Kentucky is third, and then there's like four other schools that offer it. Yeah, I have a. So it's not it's not a major degree it's nationwide. Not a major degree nationwide. Well, people, it's an important from all over the world. Come yeah, it's an important Maryland for it. Important wow. degree. A friend of mine's son is went through that, and he's a fire prevention technology guy at a nuclear power plant in Washington or maybe Oregon, right. but out there. It's That's it's an important brother, important degree. My brother, we went to school together. When I went back to college, 
uh, my brother was in college, so we lived together, and he ended up getting into the degree I was in, and uh, we graduated together. And he oh. went to work for a nuclear plant right after college for about a year down in South Texas, and it wasn't for him. Yeah. So he moved back to Oklahoma, and I, I put him to work for me at Luckinville, where who people that I were working for. You, now you said you said you went back to school. What what does that mean? Well, when I graduated high school, I went to college for the first semester, and it just wasn't my cup of tea. Yeah. I was uh, I didn't work super extra hard in college to try to get into the big universities coming out of college, so I was kind of left behind. Went to Oklahoma State, OSU, OKC, and just I was too busy. Too busy enjoying myself and having a good time, and uh, I withdrew myself. In other from words, school. normal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I went to work for my uh, parents' company. You know, they they own their own business, and uh, what company is that? Uh, HEI. They do heavy haul trucking. Okay. Over the road, specialized. So you like grew up around that. Wind blades. Yeah, yeah. Oil field stuff, rigs, cool. things like that. And uh, enjoyed that. Made made good money, and then uh, I went to work for another guy, Mako Chemical. Uh, they okay. do, you know, full field blended right. chemicals, different things, and they're friends of the family. And I really kind of found myself while I was working there. And, you know, I got to the point where I just wasn't happy. I saw what other people were becoming and just knew mm-hmm. that, you know, I needed to, I needed to do something different because I don't want to do this the rest of my life. And that's when I went back to school. Uh, when I was researching. How old were you school, when you went back to school? 23. Okay, so you were working for a few years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you decided, that's a hard decision. It is. I was making pretty good money, too. Right. So. That's the thing. I mean, so many people in, in trades and in these you know, contracting businesses, you can, you can make good money, well over six figures, even doing you know, stuff that doesn't require a degree. So it was definitely a commitment on your end to go to college. At 23, I was making in the mid-60s. Yeah, and I walked away from in that. Oklahoma. In Oklahoma, which is and that's which is pretty good in Oklahoma. Five. Oh yeah, that's great in Oklahoma. Yeah. So it was a tough decision. I did a lot of research in it, you know, and um, I really I was looking for safety, but mm-hmm. I didn't want to go to UCO. UCO has you mean an industrial a safety degree, safety. not personal safety. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I my idea of going back to school was I wanted to get into the safety industry because at the time with my work experience at that point. That's what I saw everything going to. It was safety, 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 safety this, Why safety is that? that? Well, it's just... It still is, yeah. It still is. It's right. just, you know... Litigious society and... Yeah, safety is something that's an ongoing deal. And people haven't always taken it as serious as they do now. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of... I just... I saw the industry. I saw a need for safety. And that's kind of what attracted me to it. Mm. And uh, I knew another friend of the family that graduated from UCO with a safety degree. Okay. He was doing really well working for an oil field company. And okay. now he owns a quite large oil field company in Oklahoma city. Okay. He started as a safety guy, but met the right people, got connected. Now he's a business owner of legend energy service. Okay. So, uh, you know, that's kind of, kind of how I started. I got right. into the school six months. Well, well a full semester, at After UCO? I started, no, at Oklahoma State okay, University. Oklahoma State. Yeah, when I started oh. back at Oklahoma State doing my fire protection safety degree, I was a uh, you know gung ho, ready to do safety, focused on it. Yeah, but I wasn't doing good in school. I had been out for four years. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was super tough. I wasn't managing my time well. Did you move to Stillwater? Uh huh. Okay. I was about to quit school again. About to oh, get really? Up, you know, and it's just kind of. My mom was like, "You need to find a job." 
So I found a job, had a friend that worked at Luckinville Incorporated, or I had a friend their, that I was in school with. Luckinville is trucking? Luckinville is a mechanical contracting company based oh, out of okay. England. That's where I started my career. Dennis Luckinville, he's my mentor. Uh, spent nine years there. Wow. So, uh, but they, they hired me when I was in college, went in there and applied to do pipe fitting, you know, my when yeah. I'm not in class to go help help install sprinkler systems or really anything I could do. Yeah. You know, just because general labor, general labor, whatever. So they, they hired me. He looked at my degree, looked at what I was going to school for. He knew I was only, you know, a semester in and uh, they hired me to help out with installing sprinkler systems part time. Yeah. When I could. And I started that and a month later. They sent me to design school for oh. the fire sprinkler design layout. Where's that at? The, it was uh, down in Oklahoma City. Okay, like, so yeah, not part of it. where you learn the flow losses and right. volumes and everything you got yeah. to do. And I'd had some training in that from classwork so far, but I really, at that point, I knew very little about anything. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so I learned. Uh, started designing some of the systems they had. Uh, got into it. A couple months went by, and then... Then I started estimating jobs. Wow. And Why do you think he gave you so much uh, authority, so much um, opportunity right from the beginning? Like he sent you to design school. He's now getting you estimating. I feel like you're three That's months a in. $1,000 question right there. I yeah. don't know. You know because I, he saw something. Well, he obviously I, saw I something. So. I feel like he, I feel like he did see something in me. Yeah. You know, because I was very ambitious, very driven. And... Uh, yeah, I feel like he saw something in me. I need to ask him next yeah. time I see him. Because <laughs> honestly, like, I mean, I see a lot of contractors that they hire someone. They don't give them the authority. They don't give them opportunities right. like that. And there's so much talent. We were talking about two-second lean before this conversation. And he talks about all the different areas of waste. And one of the big areas is talent. Like, you right. do not give enough opportunity to the talent that you have. Right. And obviously, he did a great job of getting you. I mean, look at you now, obviously. A lot of that's because of what the opportunity yeah. he gave you. 100%. He let me spread my wings and fly. Yeah. And he let me learn on his dime, and he let me fail on his dime. Yeah. And uh, I'll forever be grateful for that. And, uh, you know, it, it was a good position there. I, I learned a lot. I was doing safety also. So it was kind of one of those deals. Mm -hmm. I was wearing a lot of hats, and uh, a couple years go by, and I've I've taken what they had one one sprinkler crew, which were actually plumbers, doing sprinkler work, to having five crews, over a million dollars in backlog work, doing service, and people running out of both Enid and uh, Edmond office. So I have a lot wow. of support internally, but it was. Uh, it was fast. And then at that age, you know, that was the kind of confidence I needed because mm -hmm. it 100% translated back to school. That's what I was about to say. How much, you said you were struggling in school. How much did the actual application of what you were learning help you as you went through school? Because I feel like, I mean, I see interns all the time and I feel like they have no idea. Everything they're going to school for is theory, 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 theory. And then they don't, when they get to go to practice, they're like, oh, wait, what? It was an invaluable experience. Yeah. Makes it real. And Absolutely. did your grades go up? Uh-huh. Yeah. Were you, were you teaching crazy. the classes? <laughs> well, no, that's not how they do it. It was a little it. bit after that's that. Not, <laughs> that's not how they do it in the real world, yeah. Professor. We had a lot of that, yeah. for sure. But, you know, it. that first semester was kind of adjusting, was a little bit of a challenge. Yeah. 
But once I started that second semester after I went to work, I mean, it's like the more I had going on, the better I did, the more I thrived. It was before that, when I didn't have that job when I was in school, I had so much downtime that I would put things off and just wasn't managing. And once I took that job and started working 20 to 30 hours a week, you had and to. taking 15 hours of school, yeah. there was no if ands. There, there was this is what you had to do every day, and you had to be deliberate about it. Yeah, you know, and I stuck with it, and it's been really good for me. And I think that also, and you mentioned once you had a more, the more you had going, the better you did. I think that actually has a lot to do with your personality type. Yeah. I think you're a very high capacity and very visionary high level thinking mm-hmm. and you don't want to be in the weeds that much. And I think that, uh, the more you had going on, it fit your personality type really well. And I yeah. think that's a good, uh, thing that you had is the more you had going on, it allowed you to really think through things and keep things going. And, uh, that's awesome. I feel like that's still the case today because if I yeah. let up just a little bit, I feel like things start falling apart. They don't, but in my mind, yeah. they kind of do because I'm Keeps used to driven. this level. Right. Yeah. So and we'll, we'll learn more about that as we go. So, you graduate OSU, what year is that? 2010. 2010. Mm-hmm. And so you're at Luckinville still for, what, another three years? Four years? Two. Two more. Okay. Two more years. And so tell us about the decision. You know, we, we have an episode on the um, evolution of a business owner. Exactly. And it talks about going from employee to self-employed to, you know, hiring people, more of like a manager, owner, and then going into an investor. Uh, mm-hmm. when you kind of step out. So let's talk about your journey with that. You were an employee for nine years, you said, with Luck and Bill? Yeah, a little under nine years. Okay. And at what point in that nine years did you think, I'm going to go out on my own at some point? Was it six years in? Was it three years in? Three to four years. Three, yeah. yeah. And so what, tell us, like, what were you thinking at that time? Yeah, what prompted that decision? <laughs> you, well, we'll let the record recorders well, smile on his face. <laughs> There was a lot of things that prompted that decision. Um, obviously, being around family-owned business my whole life, right? You know, running running your business. Blood. It's just it's all I've ever known or witnessed. A lot of the friends that our family was friends with were their own business owners. Yeah. So it was just kind of a you know a culture that I'd been around. That decision was made when you were born. <laughs> pretty much, yes. Pretty yeah. much, yes. And and then some of the other things were, and this is kind of. This goes back to your evolution of a business owner, yeah. entrepreneur. I kind of got, well, of course, you know, like anybody, I got a got a pretty cocky head, a little, sure. little, little arrogant as I started learning and flying and succeeding yeah. while I was going to school. And, you know, I had to, had to do a lot of learning along the way of how to control myself, my behavior, when to speak, when not to speak, and how to play that role that I just projected myself into, mm-hmm. you know. And it worked out. Finally, after a lot of hard lessons, but the biggest challenge was I was I was Dennis Luck and Bill's guy. You were that guy. He had a lot of faith in me. Yeah. And when you got 400 plus people in the company, that rubs some people the wrong way. And after being there three to four years, I started catching some of that. Mm-hmm. Because you know, you're the pretty boy, the favorite. And I'm his so jealous I'm his boy. Yeah. Know? Yeah. The golden and, boy. Uh, and I didn't feel like I was, you know, anything special other than, you know, he had his trust in me. I trusted him. I listened to him. I did what he asked. And we made the best of it. The mm-hmm. big challenge we had there is, uh, you know, 
both of his son-in-laws, which are both vice presidents uh. of the company, and then their wives, which are his daughters, they were, well, the son-in-laws were heavily involved. Uh, Robert mm. was the uh, vice president of Edmund, Trevor the vice president of Enid. Gotcha. And uh, now they run the company. Yeah. But great people. I just, uh, you know, I never really got along with Trevor. He's ex-military and yes, sir, no, sir type guy, which is yeah. fine, but I'm a civilian. So. Right. And I treat with respect, and I say yes, sir, no, sir. But you know, I'm not. Just things. Are, it's just it's a culture difference. Because you're from Oklahoma. Culture. Yeah, right. it's a different deal. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, you know, we never really got along. And then it didn't take but maybe a year, year and a half of the daughters being involved in the business before I was on a hot seat. Yeah. And they would look for anything they could find to report back to dad. Yeah. And just to kind of, you know, I don't know what their objective was. I just know that. I was brought up in conversations at family dinners a lot uh, because <laughs> so you, you he had so it. much faith in me. Right. And they didn't because of my, I guess my, I don't know why they didn't. You Probably because you weren't family. Jealousy or if I wasn't family or yeah. what the deal was. But, you know, I made the best of it. And held, even today, Robert, Robert is one of the best men I know. Yeah. Hands down. Uh, I had lunch with him a couple weeks ago. I subcontracted. He's, he's one of the sons. Yeah. He's Robert one of the son-in-laws. Yeah. Son-in-laws. Yeah. Son-in-laws. Yeah. And uh, he's a great guy. And, uh, you know, I keep that relationship open with him. And uh, things are good. And, you know, but we it got to a point there where Dennis and I sat down. I wasn't happy. I was miserable. Hmm. I was stressed. I was just, I was not a pleasant person to be around. Yeah. Not even to look at. <laughs> every day started just, it was just a miserable day every day because of, I was making X amount of money mm-hmm. for them. I was busting my tail to do it, which that's what any employee should do. And in yep. my opinion, you know, if you hire somebody, you pay them, you should do the job you're hired to do. Yep. And I did that. But all the extra flack that came with it just made it more hard. Stress. Once you start getting questioned and then you get micromanaged and then you have some guy that you never even met that's thrown over you, that's in charge of you. I just attitude started getting bad and as you all know i'm a vocal person yep. and i let everybody know <laughs> and dennis and i finally sat down one day and uh you know with tears in my eyes came to came to an agreement it's time to part ways yeah he doesn't view you as a traitor though absolutely not okay yeah and you compete directly with him uh, i mean sometimes i mean they've been around since 1927 i mean i mean are you occasionally bidding jobs against them okay. i maybe few a year we just chase different things you know the problem with luck and bill they had a x margin that we couldn't bid below which was double what the average margin jobs were going for so you had to chase government work yeah remodel work anything that people don't want to spend their time on you know you couldn't chase the fast and easy jobs because they would you wouldn't win them at those rates yeah so yeah and uh that was, you know, I mean. Well, a couple of lessons a there. One is, is, is yours. What I've heard you say is um, that you went and did and learned, but you weren't satisfied. You recognized it. You studied and you went back to school, got a job. You sucked up everything you could in that job. Obviously, you were recognized by Mr. Luckenbill. You learned from that. Then you recognized I'm not happy making good money and having a secure job. Is, it's hard to break away from. Mm-hmm. It, it really is. There's so many people who are out there miserable in what they do, and they know they are, but there's that 
tyranny of the status quo, you know. I don't want to have to change. Yeah. So that's one thing to notice about Chris. Uh, kind of the thing to notice about Luckinville is that he recognized your talent. For people listening, if you've got somebody right. like that. and then he, But he also allowed a culture that eventually, it didn't destroy his company, they're still here. But he, he lost a guy. He lost a good guy. You may have he gone anyway because it's in your genetics. Right. But he lost a good guy. That That's one of the things Monty Markham talks about when he has really top quality people. He says, I got to find a way to keep them because otherwise they're going to compete with me. And so what he did, not he, he talks about it in his episode, but created opportunities for them with other stores that they could go run and scratch that entrepreneurial itch and make extra money, but he, but stay within the sphere. Right. And, yeah. and so it's just a lesson from Luckinville that, that he didn't do that. I mean, who, yeah. I don't know him. He's been around a long time, so mm-hmm. he's running a good business, but that's something to notice. Yeah. So, so you're, you've made this decision well before you left Luckinville that you're going to start your own business sometime. You're going to be a business owner. At that point, yeah, yeah, you know, because I brought in John, you know, that's how me and John got connected. I hired through him. through the John, company, John William, my business partner. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, I got I hired him from Williams Fire Sprinkler Company in two thousand eight to come to Luckinville to come to Luckinville to do inspections for us because I was also building a service side of the business right. while I was doing everything else I was doing for him and brought him in and man. We click like that from day one, uh, you know, just work real, real good together, yin and yang, right. polar opposites, polar opposites, but work and thrive well together. Yeah. And uh, brought him in, and you know, we just had off the cuff conversations, like, man, we're getting, you know, we're making a killing for these people, which that's what anybody that doesn't own their own business. I'm excited about that. How hard Thanks. could it be? How hard could it be? Yeah, <laughs> nothing. <laughs> Until you get that first insurance bill. Yeah. Until you have those accounts receivable. Well, the guy owes me 100000 So? You mean you didn't pay me? Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, we had some conversations, and, you know, we just kind of kept it to ourselves for a long time, and mm-hmm. nothing ever really blossomed from it until that day came. And, uh, you know, I didn't have a plan for anything. My plan was to go work for my parents mm. until I – you know, figured out something else. At that time, I was applying for Devon Energy. I was looking at even getting back into safety. Gotcha. That's just kind of how burnout I was. I applied with North Star Fire. I mean, this is after you had the talk. This is Mr. before. Luckman. Yeah, this is before I'd had that yeah. talk. I'd been sending my application out. Oh, okay. So I uh, interviewed with a couple sprinkler companies, big sprinkler companies that travel the United States doing high rises. Yeah. And that was something you know I didn't want to. I didn't want to move out of state. Uh, didn't want to, I was single at the time, no kids. And that's something I wanted in my future. And, you know, if I was traveling for work, you know, wasn't gonna city happen. to city, right. that wasn't going to happen. Oh, you can still get pregnant. You just can't, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. But you can't just can't see the kids as often. Can't see the kids as often. So, yeah. you know, I, I didn't do that. Nothing, nothing came through with any of the safety positions. And, uh, so I just went to work for my parents for a little bit and literally the, Three days after I walked away from Luckinville, I started FPS. Okay, that's oh, really? what I wanted to ask you. What was step one? He said you started it. I mean, can you even remember? <laughs> <laughs> I went to the CPA's office and gave him the information and said, I need this started. Okay. Did you have John with you at that point, no, or John was still at Luckinville? He was still at Luckinville. My brother was at Luckinville. Okay. Oh, wow. And uh, 
Yeah, I kind of, it was just kind of a unforeseen thing by everybody. It was just well, you know, one minute I was there and then I'm gone. People have asked me about my companies in the past. They say, well, how'd you do that? And my honest answer is, you just do I don't it. know. You just do it. I don't know. Do it. It's like day to day. But that is useful things to know. You can't, or people seldom get it all teed up and ready to go and walk out with a bank account, an operating line, full-scale employees, systems, marketing, phone number. Yeah. you got to start. So that, it is interesting. You start with a CPA, then what? Start with a single I mean, Where would you get your first job? <laughs> you know, I, and how would you finance your first job? Started with the CPA, and then, uh, you know, starting out, the, the quickest thing we could do when we started out was safety. So I started offering safety training. Mm. Anybody and everybody I could. I uh, went to a lot of the associates of my parents' company, started yeah. doing some training for them just to create some revenue coming in. And then when I was And it was just you at this time? Yeah, it was just me. So basically, it's kind of a job. You yeah. found some work. Yeah, I found some work. You know, the whole time I'm being paid by my parents' company. Uh-huh. And, you know, and that's the whole thing. I was able to, uh, I was blessed enough to be able to borrow some money from my mom and dad to get FPS up and running. That's great. And, uh, so we did that, borrowed the money, got things up and running. And one of the good things about when we started out, we started out with work almost immediately on the fire protection side. And let me, did we say, what year was this? 2011. 11. This was 11. Okay. 10 I think years said this that. July. Yeah. There you, there you go. go. I know. I'm and going, just I'm going quickly, to buy my what? anniversary Rolex this summer. There you go. Oh, there you go. Yeah, I've been holding off for well, a while. Get the one that you can buy on the streets in Italy. You know, they, <laughs> it's a genuine Rolex, but it's only $16. Right. Yeah. yeah. $24 carat, $24. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So we'll, we'll jump to that, but 2011, $0. Revenues 2020. I don't know if that was your best year, but kind of throw out 4.8 million. 4.8 million. Sounds like an American success story. Okay, <laughs> back to the deep. You start out doing uh, training, safety and- training, things like that, and then uh, we uh, we got Telgen, which is a national company. They they are basically they're a company that handle the big box retail, the chain stores. And then they hire vendors and in inspections each state. and things like yeah, that. Yeah, for inspections. So. We worked a deal with Telgen and then CentOS, and we became their Oklahoma affiliate to do pre-engineered systems, engineered systems. And when I say that, I'm talking about kitchen dry or kitchen wet yeah, chemical I think, systems. I think it's a good point because I think a lot of contractors still don't understand fire protection that well. Right. Let's go through like everything that fire protection covers. And just to kind of, in layman terms, if you can go through, we've, I mean, you've got fire sprinklers that you see in buildings. Yes. And there's different kinds. There's dry and there's wet. Yes. What's there's, the difference there? Let's. There's dry sprinkler systems and there's wet sprinkler systems. Wet sprinkler systems is a, it's basically, it's a system that's filled with water at all times that's ready to discharge at any given moment. It just needs the bulb in the head to be busted. And then that head will spray until the next bulb's busted and then that head will spray as well. A wet or a dry system on the other hand is a system just like the wet system, everything about it is exactly the, the same. Pipe, piping wise, yeah. and head wise, except for the system is filled with air or nitrogen. Right. So, and, and why it, is that? Well, that's because usually if you're using a dry system, it's in areas that are subject to freezing that are not conditioned spaces, can't mm-hmm. be maintained at or like above a big old warehouse. Fahrenheit. Yeah. So, a lot of that. So, that's when we'll put in a dry system. So, the dry system has a dry valve on it 
whereas the wet system has a wet valve, which is just a check valve and a flow switch. There's nothing else in there really special about it. Yeah. The dry system valve, on the other hand, has a mechanical device in it that will, it's basically, you got your differential water air pressure, mm-hmm. and that your air pressure holds that, holds that clapper valve down so water can't push into the system. Right. So once that air releases off the system, like when, the the bulb breaks, like when a bulb breaks, okay. it takes anywhere from 20 to 60 seconds before that valve will trip and that mechanical valve will, or that, that clapper valve will open and water will flow. And that way it's, it's a delayed response, but it also, it keeps your system from freezing. Yeah. You can protect freezing, freeze potential areas. So it's right. a lot of detail, but on a dry system, does the whole thing fire at once? No. I mean, it, it, you can route water. Oh, that's the only place there's a hole where the bulb broke. Yeah. So the whole thing might fill right. with water and compressed gas. But yeah, the movies gonna... really mess it up for fire sprinkler world. <laughs> <laughs> Hollywood makes it think that all you got to do is pull a pool station or hold yeah. a lighter up to them and everything goes off. And the only time you will run into a system like that is that it's some kind of industrial facility or right. like an airplane hangar or something like that. And what they call those are open deluge systems, open head deluge systems. We're gonna put some water down. <laughs> a lot right. of water. Right. Yeah, how, that's a good that's a good point because I've seen some of the locations you have literally water tanks nearby because it's that much water. Mm-hmm. How much water goes out on the average t- every, every time it goes out? Oh, I mean, some of the heads we'll calculate will flow fifty to sixty gallons a minute. So. Holy Talking cow. some serious water meters that's or supplemental head, right? storage per head, yeah. but that oh, you know right. that's a one inch head. That's a one inch orifice head. It's, now the half inch orifice heads, you can't flow that kind of water through them in a minute. Gotcha. But, but that's a lot of water still. A lot of water, man. So, and that's why we run into booster pumps and you know back, water backup water storage tanks. And so you do all those things too. You're doing yeah, we do. Water that's tanks. all part of the design. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we've got the sprinklers. What else do you guys do in fire protection? So we do fire alarms. Fire alarm, uh, we do a little bit of security, a little bit of access control and camera okay. work. You know, we really, really tried to dive off into that a couple years ago. Because and it's controls, electronic controls. Yeah, the electronic controls, access control, security. Just because it was an extension of the fire alarms, what we were already right. doing. But I've scaled back on that because I was just, I was spending money on something that really wasn't going anywhere. Mm. And I had to think back to that one thing that every business person I feel like should think at stick to what you know Focus. stick to yeah. what you know and yeah. we're a fire company yeah. yeah so we focus on fire alarms now. well you uh, had talked about kitchens they're not the squirt thing but co- every commercial kitchen every restaurant every yeah every restaurant every commercial kitchen is going to have a wet chemical fire suppression system now this is different than a fire sprinkler system it's not, I mean, the wet chemical, it's a chemical agent that's stored and tanked and it's totally self-sustained by itself. Okay. So, and it's basically done with links and they got nozzles over the burners. Yeah. Pretty simple. We do those inspections, service, install, maintain, you name it. And they have to get and those, inspected. Those All of that kind needs of, to be inspected every those year. Those can go off just based on temperature, right? Mm-hmm. And they can go off based on, you know, cook error pretty frequently. I mean, all it takes is a cook not turning the fans on and firing up the grill and that thing will pop. Yeah, and so you'll get calls like, "Hey guys, we're trying to. We got we're open tonight. There wasn't a fire, but we got to clean all this crap up, and we can't run until we have to, so yes. we can get it cleaned up and and running again." So, absolutely, yeah. Well, and they used to protect kitchens with dry powder. Okay, so what's they don't that anymore? 
Dry powder is a mess, is what it yeah. is. Oh, really? It's what's yeah. in a fire in a extinguisher, kitchen. right? <laughs> in a kitchen. I mean, that's what's in right. a fire extinguisher? Yeah, it's yeah. sodium bicarbonate. Yeah. So. yeah. I think I told you, we had, but I ran grain elevators in Nebraska, and some of them were quite old, and they had these glass bulbs that looked like a, uh, like a light bulb, only a big light bulb, and it said, in case of fire, throw bulb at base of flame. Oh, yeah. And it was carbon tetrachloride. And you just threw that bulb down, and it broke, and then I guess that's a heavier and air inert gas or whatever. Yeah. But anyway, I, I wish I'd taken one of those because probably from the 20s. Some of the old fire protection items out there, they're so cool. I collect. Yeah, I, I wish I had that. And they had the brass uh, fire extinguishers that you turn them over. Yeah. And it, I mean, I always said vinegar and soda. I don't know what it was, but you turn them over and it mixed like mm-hmm. vinegar and soda and no, then yeah. it shot out the little nozzle. And, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I got stuff. three of them at the office. Oh, we've that's cool. We've come a long way. Yeah. So. We really have in terms of that. So, so you, you have all these different areas. You know, you've got, I mean, there's a lot to manage there just solo. At what point do you start to hire people? Do you start to bring your business partner, John, in? Let's go through that. Mm. John was brought in 2015. Okay, so you were doing it, you were running for about four years on your own. Okay. I hired a I hired the old the uh, secretary that worked with me at Luckinville. She went real happy there, so she came to work for me. Okay. Helped me run the run the she ran the office for me, scheduling everything to do with the office while I did the field work. Okay. And at that time, we were actually officing. I was renting a corner of my parents' office. Gotcha. Literally, a desk in a corner. Yep. <laughs> and. I had a 24-foot enclosed trailer that we refilled all the extinguishers in. That was my work area and storage there you area. Go. And uh, I just, we did everything we could do. And then I hired a guy to come in and help me so I could try to sell more work and find other things. And, and then you- out of nowhere, Devin Energy calls me and offers me a stupid job working two weeks on, two weeks off. Oh. And what I mean by stupid, I mean by like stupid, stupid lucky, stupid lucky, yeah. stupid money. And yeah, I couldn't turn it down, so I kind of deviated for three, okay. well, two and a half years there. I okay. uh, I went to work and I did drill drilling site safety consulting, working two weeks on, two weeks off. Which at that time I really kind of needed to financially wise, just because mm-hmm. I we just weren't making money the money we needed to make yet. Yeah, and we weren't growing fast enough, so it kind of it slowed things down. Yeah, it slowed FPS down quite a bit, but it it did help me reinvest in the company and personally financially too. I did that, and then in 2014 when the when the Saudis tanked the oil market. Yeah. I uh, got laid off there shortly after that, and that was the best thing that ever happened to me. Really? Because I came back here, and I put 100% of my focus in FPS. John Vermillion had been brought on board three months before that. Okay. So we had finally struck a deal, and I made him a partner, Mm -hmm. and uh, he came on, and uh, I got laid off, like I said, three months after that, and you know what? It sucked at the time, but, you know, it was the well, you know, a, a best great, thing. Great thing about this, you set a course, you start going, you had no idea that you, what you were going to have to do or that Devin would come in, but stuff happens and you're still maintaining the course. Right. 
and then they lay you off. Well, I have some, maybe that's a God thing because they laid you off at the right time, mm-hmm. put you back in focus, but it gave you some experience. And I was always going to stay the course because Devin was just a, you know, did what you had to do. Did what I had to do. I needed yeah. money, and it was six-figure plus money. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and it was only I had to work two weeks a month. I mean, that's why half the year. It's, it's a coincidence <laughs> that they're firefighters, but that's a that's yeah. a common theme among firefighters. They have a business on the side, mm-hmm. and then yep. they work their two-week shifts, right? and they get benefits and things like that, and they build a business on the side. So. Yeah. Well, what early on... If we were talking to early Chris, maybe 2012, mm-hmm. what would what would your ambitions been for annual sales that year? Quarter million. Good. Yeah, I, I always like to bring that up because if the concept of doing 4.8 million, yeah, would that have really even entered your mind that we're going to do that? Nope. Yeah. Yeah. Not at that time. Other than you know, long term goal. Right. Sure. Uh, at that small and that early, you, you know, you have no idea how it's possible. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, now I can kind of put my thumb on what's, what's attainable and what's not. Right. You know, with the size we're now and the infrastructure we have. Yeah. yeah. And, sure. and another quick question, cause I'll forget to ask it, but how did you keep financial records early on or did you? <laughs> QuickBooks. Okay. So you started out with QuickBooks mm-hmm. and this lady who came from Luckinville, she could, Actually, yes. I mean, people buy QuickBooks, but they don't keep QuickBooks a lot of times. You actually had records. When I met you, you had good records. Yep. We've always had records. Yeah. I don't understand how people run a business without having records. It yeah. blows my mind. I bought a business one time by mistake, <laughs> and they didn't have records. What business was that? <laughs> Storm Shelter Company. I was early on. Well, actually, I bought that Storm Shelter Company. It was after I started FPS. It was why, because the oil field thing. I was making that money in the oil field, and I had a buddy that yeah. had a storm shelter company, wanted to get out, and we bought it, and I got took to school, took yeah. to the cleaners on it. I well, that's one say. of the first things from the buyer standpoint. If they don't have books, that's a really good indication that you don't know what you're buying. Right. Yeah. I bet you got a rookie mistake. Yeah. I learned early. You know, it was an expensive learning mistake, but, you know, that I feel like the lessons I learned while I was – dealing with that for the short year and a half, they really molded me for today. Yeah. Well, I'm very strategic about decisions I make anymore, especially when it comes from, you know, when it comes to growing and projecting what's coming and just trying to balance. How often do you look at your books? Uh, Information from your books. I try to every Monday morning. Uh, Sometimes if the information's not on my desk, ready to go Monday morning, I'll forget about it by the time the week goes by. So most of the time it's every Monday. I'll take a look. Just quickly, what are you looking at? Accounts receivable. Go through and see anybody that's over 60 days. Flag them. See if, obviously, I'm flagging a lot of the same people, but I'll also look to see what ones have paid that we've been on. Mm -hmm. And then I uh, look at the accounts. I look at the account. I look at the uh, P&L, accrual basis P&L, just so I can kind of see exactly where we're at with what we build out so far this week, what's been inputted, and you know, just kind of expenses, other expenses. It gives you an idea. Yeah, there. That, that I don't want to belabor it and take this entirely to books, but it's so important that so many people don't have them. Yeah. But there's a voice of experience. And one thing that I've learned from experience is, is the minute you stop looking at your books is when your books go to crap. Mm-hmm. It's just it's 
which is crazy to think that that can be the case, especially with the company you've got 50 employees, but it's true. Well, it's a uh, principle we can talk about. It doesn't have to be you all the time, but when you quit looking at anything, it tends to go to crap. Yeah. Doesn't mean you have to beat people up, but people need to know that you're watching. They need to have goals. They need attaboys. It's not all about chewing butt. It's about right. giving them credit. But when you quit looking, things it's like gravity. It pulls out on you 24-7, and it's pulling down. So early on, what was... What led to the growth and success of FPS early on? You you have John now at 2015, 2014. Um, you've left Devin and you, and you put all your attention towards it. What did you guys first focus on? Was it sales? Was it contract? Know? I focused on nothing but contract work, selling fire sprinkler inspection jobs. Mm -hmm. And I uh, I was like a machine. I sat there and bid for 10 hours a day. I bid every job that I could get come in. Yeah. Uh, you know, we bought a subscription to this thing called I Square Foot. Yep. Uh, which People I don't know. have the subscription anymore because I get so many email bid requests. But you went up on it. the list. Yeah. I'm on the list now. Yep. But establishing ourselves on a bidder's list across the whole state to all the contractors, that's kind of what we, what we had to do in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I just bid everything I could bid, and uh, you know I was working with a guy, a fellow competitor of mine, Mr. Jim Kansky, and he he kind of mentored me a little bit too on estimating because he is a an amazing estimator, and hmm. I would run some of the projects by him that we weren't bidding on together, the same projects, and have him kind of check my numbers at first, just because it'd been a while since I'd bid sprinkler work, and uh, you know, got that comfortable, and man, we started landing jobs, and you know. Boom, boom, boom. Whole time that's going on, John is out there doing the fire sprinkler and the fire alarm inspections. Which and is kind of service. Yeah, which is I mean, service. Is service. Yeah, it's a service Service side. and construction yeah. kind of a way to think about it. And we had uh, two guys on that side working for us, and then we had two extinguisher guys. So I think we were setting at 2015, I think we were setting at right around six, seven employees Good. throughout the year. By the end of that year, it drastically climbed. And why was that? Just because of all the bidding you were doing? Contract work. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we started landing job, job, job. Just back to back to back. And How did, how did you finance them? You start getting uh, general contract. Well, you're not general contract work. Those guys don't pay you every Friday, usually. I got really good vendors. Oh, okay. So, and not just good vendors. I have good relationships with my vendors. Right. Mm. So you're able to get material ahead of time and stuff. No, number yeah. one source of financing for contractors. Right. Well, <laughs> it's uh, you know. But did you talk to it or did it, I mean, how did you cultivate a relationship where you could owe them lots of money and them not breathing on your neck and cutting you cutting you off? We're not shipping you any more pipe till you pay the last load, all that. Well, they have a, they have a job sheet, like a job each. So, you go in there and you can put, you can take an order and you can put it on your, your shop account right. or you can take an order and put it on your job, job. account okay. and your job, jobs account are tied to each job. So they more or less secure it. We have to gather the bonding information from the general contractor owner right. information and then they Good. secure it for us. Now they had liked their money as quick as they can get it, right. but they're really good. They'll let us set 75 days and usually on the contract we can have, it's supposed to be net 30, but in reality, we're paid net 60, and then we can get it out by to them by 75, right. and they're happy. And, you know, Ameripipe, they've been 
amazing. I mean, this is this is a huge deal. You worked with your vendors. That didn't just happen. You talked to them. I worked with them. I mean, I, I'm aware of those job occasions. Yeah. I was a young company. We didn't have a huge bankroll. We didn't have big investors. We were uh, mom, Paul, rubbing two dimes together trying to make it work, mm-hmm. more yeah. or less. And uh, you know, I just told them, I was like, you know, I was honest with them. I was like, you know, I'm like, this is going to be taken care of. We won't have any problems, and we have stuck to that. And we take care of business, and we have communication a, with your vendors. Though. That's the whole honest, thing. open and, communication. You're not trying to trick anybody or put them off or not answer their phone calls. And that's what's always frustrated me with people in general. It doesn't matter if you owe me money, I owe you money, or it's not even about money. You take the call. Yep. You talk to people. Yeah. You yep. let them know what's going on. I mean. Otherwise, people start getting upset. Like when people don't communicate with me, that's when I go to my lawyer and I'm like, get the process started. Yeah. Like if they're not going to communicate with us, if they're not going to make any effort at all, we're going to go this route because we've got to we've got to get what's ours. What causes you to assume is what it is. That's it. Your your expectations you have zero, and so you have to assume your expectations, and that's when it goes south. Um, I'd rather a guy answer the phone. And give you and tell terrible me he news. can't, and give me terrible news. Yeah, than not answer his phone at all. Yep. So. That's what my brother-in-law says. He says I'd rather owe you than cheat you out of it. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> no, yeah, that's that's a main takeaway here. That's been central to everything you've done since I've known you. It sounds like forever is open, honest communication. Well, and then the banking relationship was another big one. So, <clears throat> one thing I learned from my mom is. Take care of your banker always, hmm. always, always, always make sure your banker is taken care of. Why is that? I mean, <laughs> just so you got a good relationship with them. So if things ever get tough, you can walk in there and you're not having a scramble. Yeah. And, you know, that's what we do. I, you know, I remember starting out, uh, they had their doubts about us. You know, we were young. The bank, you mean? Yeah, the yeah. bank. I mean. It wasn't an issue borrowing money to buy vehicles, but borrowing money to get in a revolving line of credit, that was the tough, tough issue mm-hmm. we had. Once we got, you know, got through that, they were good, but I went in there, I was deliberate about it. I went in there every month. I met with my banker. I sat down. I went through all the jobs that we had won that are coming up. We added our backlog, and I went through our P&Ls with him. Every month, I'd go in there for 30, 45 minutes to be like, this is where we're at this month. This is where we're going. And I did that up until, well, this guy was the president of the bank at the time. And then he kind of put me off to another one of the loan officers there because he couldn't handle it. I did it all the way up until about that. And then I just started emailing him. Yeah. Yeah. But that's another thing. You had books. Yeah. (laughs) Can't email the bank books if you don't have books. Exactly. Financial. So uh, what do you feel like was a tipping point whenever for, for FPS where... You know, you're trying to grow, you're bidding all these jobs, you're, you know, trying to establish these relationships with vendors, with bankers, all this stuff. At what point did it kind of just tip and it was just not smooth sailing, but you guys were on this roller coaster and it was clear. It wasn't just like, can we make it? Can we make it? Can we get more jobs? Can we get more work? What point did you feel like you guys were established? Mm, Mid-2018, probably. Okay. I kind of felt like, yeah, I feel like that's probably when we are mostly established or i mean i could even fast forward to the spring of 2020 when we moved into our new office and that felt 
big time. Felt it felt like a huge move for us, and uh, we had a great foundation, a great name. Uh, trucks are all over town, and they're noticeable. Yep, um, I see your trucks everywhere, and I see your tags. I'm always looking at tags now <laughs> on fire <laughs> signatures when you walk into yeah. any place like Chipotle. Start oh, seeing yeah. FPS there everywhere. Yeah, it's, it's a good feeling, and that's something that used to excite me when I would be out and about and see my tags. It made me proud. Oh, absolutely. My daughter, she she loves seeing that. Tag. She's like, Daddy, that's your tag. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, that is funny. And it's always funny. I'm at a place, and I'll see like another another t- company tag on there, and I'm like, man, we gotta get we gotta get in this place. <laughs> no, man. It's, it's yeah, funny. I I you know I kind of feel like there there's been so many amazing things that have happened to me and i've been blessed with over the years and you know from being being asked to be on board state licensing boards uh to being being invited to be on you know organization boards Mm -hmm. to kind of being a person that people call if you know be the go-to guy Mm go-to guy uh got a great relationship with the capital lobbyist you know, because we're always battling to protect our industry licensure-wise. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that's made me feel real good about, you know, kind of what I've built, that people look at me and they they have a sense of respect for me and what I've done. And, you know, what I've done is the proof in that. Right. And uh, in the beginning, you know, it was kind of – I never really embraced my competition like I do now. And I'm if you'll have me, I'm friends with you as a competitor. Yeah. I just – I don't have time to worry about my competitors. I'd rather be allies with them, call them when I'm in a pinch. If I needed, you know, right. we always might need something. Yeah. So, and, uh, yeah, I don't know. I just, I feel like about, you know, 2018 was that year, you know, that things really started to happen and where, you know, I was, you know, started to be known, hmm. if you will. Uh, we started having people walk in to apply. We've got business walking in. Yeah. You know? That's great. And so from 2018, you know, you felt like that tipping point, a lot of times that's where people kind of get stagnant and you didn't, you continued to kind of really reach up. I mean, you doubled since then at least, right? Yeah. Almost. Yeah. yeah, So, so what is it that helps you to do that? How did you kind of double up there and keep going? I don't really know. I mean, we just we just kept doing what we were Excelsior, doing. because yeah. always yeah, always we, going, always got the energy. I mean, you see yeah, it. Yeah, I just, you know, I mean, work kept coming in. Yeah. You know, things being assigned to us. You know, we even raised our prices and we're still winning work. You know, yep. and just going and going and going. And we finally got to the point now where we're trying to kind of balance out in a way. Uh, yeah. Just, what do you mean by that? Just to take a breath, you know. Mm-hmm. Set yeah, I think we one time talked about a yeah. consolidation year because, I yeah. mean, I know you've acquired a company besides that uh, storm shelter. And, yeah, you grow. Those things all require capital. you got to get more people. You've got to assimilate them mm-hmm. into your company. And I know and we, we had talked about that one time. Said, Let's take a year where we just consolidate, consolidate which in a lot of respects means um, – accumulate some cash <laughs> well that's that's our year this year yeah that's kind of what we're our plan is this year is just to kind of hold what we've got and uh make it better just better maintain better. and really work on it and, and catch up and take a breath i mean we haven't we haven't taken a breath since 2014 15 i mean it's right. just been boom full steam ahead yeah and uh with that goes cash all you know i mean if you're growing you're spending all your cash yep and that that can be extra stressful 
Yeah. As all business owners know. Absolutely. So, and I, we've kind of reached a point like, you know, I would love to be huge and have offices in five, six states. That'd be mm -hmm. great. But at that point, I probably won't have much to do with the company. Exactly. Yeah. It's true. Building a company that can get... I was going to ask you what your vision is, and I, I don't necessarily mean... Uh, well, if it's to be in five states and not be involved, but uh, what kind of is your vision for the future of the company? And it might be that you just want to have enough cash that you don't worry about stuff. <laughs> I don't know. You know, my vision for the company is we've got that Tulsa office that I acquired last year from the company, and uh, with that came licensure in Arkansas, and we've got work out there, and, and our and our reach to Western Arkansas is a lot easier. Mm -hmm. So uh, once we kind of get the uh, Tulsa office balanced out, where I feel like we're in a good position, I'm mm -hmm. going to make a push on Northwest Arkansas, and then at that point, that's probably I haven't thought much past that. <laughs> Well, so, I mean, that's fair enough. Yeah. yeah. Fair, well, fair enough. Well, I mean, and the other thing is, you know, I'm also, I mean, I've, I've gotten acquisition offers, letters, not like actual offers for the company, but letters to discuss right. it at least one a month for the last two years. And uh, I'm starting to look at them a little differently now. I'm actually intrigued by them. You know, right. Not that I'm saying I'm ready to sell because that's going to be another thing is I'm going to want to be very particular on who I sell to because I'm selling my legacy. Yeah, absolutely. I don't want to sell out to some big corporation that's got a hundred offices throughout the United States or some, you know, market equity capital group mm -hmm. that they don't know anything about fire protection. They're just buying a business to milk it for cash and then they're out. Yeah. So, you know, I want to try to find, you know, something that lasts, something survive. that lasts. Well, those are all part of a vision. That's, that's your idea. Build, yep. yeah. build a legacy. And even if I sold this business to someone else in the name stage change, I wouldn't, yeah. wouldn't matter. It's just, you know, I've watched what happened to Mac systems and they sold out to a huge, uh, huge company, which actually called us to acquire us too, but I wasn't interested. And they're just going down the toilet right now. I mean, they're losing customers right and left. They're losing people. I mean, it's it's been a rough go for them because people in Oklahoma are used to that big-time corporate yeah. feel, especially in the fire protection business. Mm -hmm. You know, most of it is people, they work for companies where you can pick up the phone and call somebody. Yep. And if you need to talk to the owner, you can get a hold of them. Yep. And uh, at Summit, they got to talk to 25 people before they can make a decision. And that that makes things hard for people. And uh, Yeah. Bureaucracy. I I don't want my company ending up like that if I sure. walk away from it someday. Because when I sell it, I'm going to stay for six months and I'm out. Yeah, I'm not going to work for somebody. And that, just to clarify, Max Systems is a competitor. They yeah. were big in Oklahoma. Max Systems was my vision when I opened FPS. <laughs> I wanted to be Max Systems, and we are Max Systems now. Yeah, yeah. Max Absolutely. Systems is and no they longer are. Max Systems. <laughs> yeah. They're Summit. Yeah. Right. So and I've seen I've seen their trucks in the past, but I've seen them a lot less lately. Yeah. So, um, I think they still have a bunch of trucks that are running around with the Mac. Decal. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, the Mac, the Mac yeah. logo. That's what, yeah. So, I want to talk about you. That, but go back to that evolution of a business owner. Um, you know, you you get to 2018, for example, the roles that you filled that got you to 2018 are a little bit different than the roles you play today. What were those roles? How did you begin to delegate those roles? Who did you hand off to what? Um, how did, how has your role changed over the years? 
my role over the years has changed by stepping back from the business and working on the business as a whole instead of just grinding every day, scrambling, trying to get all the items done that I had to accomplish that day. Getting on job sites. Yes, yes. And uh, our big step was I hired a young lady named Kaylin, which I've mentored, and she's kind of she's a great. protege. Uh, she's done awesome. I hired her right out of college. From OSU, right? From OSU. Same, same degree. Pro- yeah. And uh, it was a big step, but... We started her out doing designing, and I was still doing the project management at the time. Mm-hmm. And after about a year, she had learned enough, and we had made the decision that subcontracting out all of our design work would be a lot more efficient mm-hmm. and cost a lot less. And then I could utilize her for project manager. She's doing project management? Yeah, now she's a project manager. She does great. So she manages all of our projects company-wide, which that was a huge relief off my shoulders right there. Yeah. Uh, getting John bought in to where he's 100% bought in to running the service and like working into the service instead of out doing inspections, that was another big part of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know he he took that over and he embraced it once he kind of figured out found his groove and what he needed to do. Yeah. Uh, and then you know we've just put a superintendent in the field. Yep. And just the rest is just. Add, added people as we need them you know on the yeah. service side right now we're we're kind of in the we've started to well we haven't started we've been forced to the point that we need to get a service manager yeah so we're, things have blown up yeah we're working we're trying to work around that to figure out how we want to position because all that's overhead right you know? i just gonna say it adds overhead but there's a point where you get more work done that pays the overhead right. and gives you more right well, and if you're scrambling to get the work done you have because you have too much work, you're not efficient. You're better off hiring more people. But, and that, but that might be where a manager comes in and makes you more efficient, like the two-second lean type. So right, it, yeah. It's, it's always those little things that you do that gets one more job per truck per day. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it doesn't cost, no, doesn't cost you anymore because you're, you're already paying the guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when you hired Kalen, um, delegation is a big deal. How did you did you have the work for her when you hired her, or was it just like you just said, "Oh man, I'm going to be adding this um, overhead. Is it worth it?" I mean, with a little nerves. From Every the person factor. I hire to this day, I think about how it's going to affect okay. our weekly cash flow. Okay, well, that, no, that's <laughs> an important. But you did it, and I mean, you've already said it. But what was the effect of hiring Kalen? It was huge. It's, yeah, it took weight off my shoulders. Right, but you didn't know it when you hired her. You right. had to wait those three months or whatever. Right. right. Uh, that's my point for people is uh, if you are going to grow from zero to 4.8 million and if you're going to continue to grow, you you can't do it all yourself. Well, that's the whole thing. And you're going to have to pull the trigger on somebody. The problem, well, it wasn't really a problem. I hired her, got her in there, we got the superintendent in there, and I was still trying to do the job. Yep. You were still doing the work. I yeah. finally removed myself from everything. <laughs> when? What, what, what changed that? Oh, I mean... Stress? Talk, talk yeah, about... stress. Yeah, how did you actually... What actually happened? Like, I what mean, job you, were you, you sitting on? at your desk? I know your desk got a lot of deer heads and stuff. <laughs> but sitting at your desk going, why am I doing this? I mean, did, was there a day? Was, was there a minute? Home. I was sitting in the silence trying to do some self-reflection and just think about everything that had gone on. I was just like... I just had to, I told myself, it's like, look, 
you either got to do it or you got to figure out some other way to run your business. You either got to have somebody run it for you and you do you do what you do right. or you got to start trusting people and letting them do it. And it's not a matter of trust. It's a matter of dependability. You know, are they yeah. going to get this handled? Because we work so hard to develop relationships. That sounds like trust to me. I mean, that well, dependability, yeah. Yeah. Huge. But it's just, it just took took some confidence, you know. It just took a little bit of, you know, it's a gamble. I mean, this everything's a, this a gamble a in business. major message from this podcast is that one right there. Yep. Well, I mean, it also goes back to Dennis. I mean, he knew, he trusted right. you. And it's also because he knew he didn't have the time. He knew he didn't have the capacity to do it. And he probably learned that lesson way beforehand. And I think, you know, it goes back to, I don't forget the exact quote, but it's, you know, surprise people with how you trust them and let them surprise you with the results or whatever, something along those lines. And I, I think that's that's what it is. I mean, once you finally tried trusting Kaylin, I'm sure she surprised you multiple times. Right. Well, and then that's kind of, yeah, she has surprised me. She's excelled. And yeah. then everybody else that we've delegated to, they're they're excelling too. I mean, we've had some guys that are kind of on the fence, but we're coaching them. You know, the whole thing is we're coaching them like, look, this ain't working and this is why. you got to improve here. Yeah. This isn't going to work. You yeah. know? And, and that's been good. And it's still going good. Like, I'm getting better and better about it. I mean, we just made a huge cut and cleaned up our bottom line. I mean, we saved almost 20% off of our monthly overhead costs wow. just by going through and just wiping out all the unnecessary things that we just been spending money on. Right. You know, and, and that's like reoccurring charges every month. So the last thing I want to do is bring in a bunch of overhead, but I've been real creative with how I've added overhead here lately. So I'm thinking about the future because I always think about yeah. what's going down the road and what's soon to be coming and i just hired a guy he just graduated oklahoma state university fire protection engineering degree uh and i've hired him for the tulsa office and my whole goal with him is is to mold him into another kaylin yep and except he's going to be starting out in the field for the first year okay actual working installing the systems understanding what he's doing Right. And not only am I going to mold him into a fire sprinkler project manager or estimator, he's going to be a fire alarm one too. Yeah. You know, that away. And then that's a big deal at our company is being able to do you multiple, know, cover, cover all the bases. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Because, I mean, I may need him to manage an alarm job and a sprinkler job. Yeah. And the, and the reason my thinking of that is, is we just don't. We don't have enough work to justify the overhead for a project manager for each division, each office. Mm -hmm. So yeah. our people where, you know, they, they, they got plenty, but it's probably the equivalent of the same person at another job where they have a ton of workload and they're the manager on it. So, so, so why did you decide to choose somebody right out of college rather than choosing somebody who's already been a project manager on both fire alarm and fire sprinkler? Cost. Cost. Is there another reason? I felt like I could mold them into what I wanted them a lot easier. Yeah. So that's going to require more time, right? Right. But you will, you will be saving some money too. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and the thing is with the money is, uh, I mean, he'll get he'll get the money soon enough. He's got an engineering degree. Right. So, and and he's not. I mean, I've paid him you know eight dollars more than our entry level makes. So I mean, sure. he's getting. He's not just being paid, you know. I mean, I made sure it was worth him to come here. I'm like, look, if you can give me a year in the field, dedicate to learning how we do things and how these systems work before you start managing, it's like, 
You'll get we'll rewarded. Do this. You'll get rewarded. Yeah. And I'm going to start throwing little side projects at him, like maybe jobs that I've already bid, but I want to have him lay see it what out. He does. I want to see yeah. what you can do on this or see what you can do on that. Yeah. So, I, you know, I don't know. I We're real big on promoting from within and mm-hmm. turning people out. I, we've had six people that have started in our shop that are either on the alarm side now, the sprinkler side, or the suppression side. Yeah. And it's just... It works out that way. The problem I've had with going out and recruiting people from other companies are, one, the cost, you're paying out the wazoo, and usually it's 20% more than they really are worth. Right. Yeah. They've just been bounced around from company to company and competed. And then, two, they never live up to your expectations. Yeah. Values. When you have to pay them that price. You run into value issues like culture? fits yeah that's another one too you know then that's a big thing i talk every person i interview you know my interviews are kind of they're little we have the interview with hr and then hr leaves and then i have my interview then they come find out what the company's like well (laughs) well and that's what i like to do with people and i like to sit there and it's usually after hr leaves i'm just talking to the person like we're talking in here i get to know them yep and I can tell within 15 to 30 minutes whether or not they're going to fit our culture. Yep. And if I have the slightest hesitation that they may disrupt the culture we have, I will not hire them. Yep. It's so important. It's huge because I feel like our culture is one of our strongest attributes right now. And that, that's not an easy, an easy thing to just automatically do because technicians and are, well, maybe they're trucking maybe the they're, and they're gone. Yeah. Well, yeah, they they can go anywhere, and they're just not everywhere. Right. I mean, they're, they're not – maybe it's changed, but – We've had pretty good luck with guys leaving. We haven't had too many people leave for other positions. Yeah. So oh, that speaks highly to the company. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we just we just lost one of our alarm techs up in Tulsa. He, uh, he turned in his two weeks' notice, but he's not going to do alarms. He's moving out of state to go do something, and I don't even know what it is, but he's moving with his brother, sweetheart deal. I'm like, look – you got to do what's best. Just start your their own company. Go for it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, be like How hard me. could it be? Yeah. <laughs> so, I wish I'd have known that two months ago before I sent you that $1,000 alarm class. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank so, you. Let's, let's talk more about this uh, acquisition in Tulsa. We've referenced it several times, but tell us about the decision, what it was like. I know that you've acquired business in the future, or in the past, sorry, but not, not like this, I, th- I feel like. This business had a lot more planning. The acquisition of this one, yeah. we, we did our due diligence, we planned, we planned, we talked, we researched, I mean, everything. Felt like we were really on point. I was very competitive with the, how I approached them for the acquisition. Uh, it was an asset acquisition. I really didn't pay much for being for the company, <coughs> for the blue other sky. than the assets yeah. that, I bought, that I bought. And uh, the blue sky, the, the work that they had on the books, like... I didn't pay a whole lot for that at all. So, in respect to that, felt like we got a pretty good deal on it. Felt like things were negotiated out pretty well. Mm-hmm. I, I even went to the extent of the part of the blue sky that we had to pay for. It was a buyout payment after six months. So, their work didn't had to come, to come in and perform yeah. for them to get the rest of that money. Right. So, and, uh, you know, the big thing there, biggest mistake I made there was the people I kept. Why is that? Keep. 
inexperience. Uh, you know, I had I had just had a vibe off the general manager that was there mm-hmm. that he was the reason for all of the issues they were having. I mean, it was a failing office. They were they weren't failing yet, but they weren't doing good. They're on the way, and they just kept throwing money. They this is a big national company that's on the east coast and west coast that just opened up an office there, and they threw people in position and you know. I just never got a good vibe from him. The guy wasn't a team player. He was all about himself. He was setting his ways, uh, you know, and didn't do anything by the book. Mm. And unfortunately, what I didn't discover until it was too late is that pretty much all he did was uh, he somehow finagled his way into that position and then hired all of his buddies to come work for him and paid him an astronomical amount that they're not worth. Mm. And then he didn't have to do anything. And I he mean, didn't have physical. to do anything at all. And that's kind of where I messed up. But now we've completely rebooted that office. We have two of the original left. How many? How many were there originally when you acquired? There were twelve. There were twelve when we acquired. Of course, like any acquisition, we immediately cut five positions. Uh, just because yeah. I mean, you already have the people that do that. Well, the office was not only was reason. that, but. They had way more people on staff than work they had on backlog. Gotcha. Or even work they had due that month. I mean, to the point, like, there was four people just sitting in the office, and we're talking $30 an hour plus paid people. Right. And it was just very, very weird how they did things. So, National account that nobody was watching. Well, it, they were because they wound up selling it, but, yeah. Yeah. It was just, you know, I don't know. I. I think about this a lot, whether I'd have been better off just renting a building and opening up because we already had a presence. We were servicing 500 and something accounts in the Tulsa area already. Mm-hmm. Or if buying that infrastructure and, you know, the people in place was more valuable. Was worth because it. I've had to, I mean, literally, we've we've had to break down and just be into them, metaphorically speaking, this is how we're doing it. We're not doing it how the other company did it. Yeah. Like you guys were by, you were acquired by us because of that. Right. So, and I feel like we finally, finally have the, the two that are left that are willing to, you know, buy in, buy in. And they have bought in. You yeah. Know? And Don's great. Don yeah, is Don's so a, committed. He's a great guy. You know, he, he gets the short end of a bunch of deals. The Tulsa market's real weird. And we've got Randy out there competing with this, which he has a non-compete with this, but he's violated it like he's seven the guy times. He, who used to uh, manage it. Yeah, he was the general manager that we acquired. Yeah. So, uh, and it's not a necessarily a non-compete; it's a non-solicitation of our customers. Of your so, yeah. that's neither here nor there. I can't speak a whole lot more about it. But uh, he, he's just been up against a bunch. But we're, we're finally starting to make traction in the positive direction up there. So the first six months were as a complete disaster. I'm not yeah. even going to sugarcoat it. It was a nightmare. It was stressful on everybody. Our office in Oklahoma City was stressed because nobody would do what they were asked to do in Tulsa as far as how the jobs are facilitated, how we're tracking time, when the paperwork gets turned in. It's like Systems were different. Because none of them never had anything to follow to begin with. Right. They were just, you know, shooting from the hip every day. They're just winging it, you know? Yeah. And uh, you can't run a business that way and as much as I wish you could. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not a successful one. At least. You don't go hunting and shooting from the hip, do you? Mm, yeah, sometimes. <laughs> it just depends on what I'm hunting. Yeah. Um, so 
today with the acquisition, you guys have two left. Things are trending in the right direction. Yes. Yeah. And we we've, we've hired new people. Right. We've exactly. Added, we've got six people total in Tulsa. Okay. So and we still send techs up there pretty much every other day. Yeah. But, just because. Yeah. Well, and right now is a little weird time because of the Arctic blast we got. I mean mm-hmm. that we're we didn't get. Well, we didn't finish all the inspections in February, and only got like probably 20, 30% of them done in March. Because of all the work for Yeah, because I mean, we well, were the shut Arctic down blast. We don't know when this will play, yeah. but it was that cold that came through Oklahoma and Texas. And yeah. yeah. January, February, February, yeah. Of 2021. February 15th. Yeah, just through the 22nd. Busted everything and had the opportunity to, to break. Everything. I mean, it's, I don't know what the total is. I haven't heard any figures from the news of like how much damage that costs from freezing. It's a lot. It's got to be in billions. the hundreds of millions. Oh, well, you add Texas to it. I mean, it's in the billions. Oh, billions of yeah. Texas yeah. to it, for sure. Yeah. But it's, which it's great. Like I said, I mean, we've had some really big invoices come from those repairs. Unfortunately, you know, people are having to deal with, you know, the damage deal with the issues, yeah. the devastation, but you know, at the end of the day, that's why we all have to carry them high policy insurance policies. Right. right. Yep. So I know I'm going to make my insurance company pay for what I have to pay them. Yep. So. Absolutely. So um, we've we've covered a lot of ground, and I feel like there's still a lot that we haven't covered. But uh, Martin, what do you what do you feel like we need to? Well, to one end thing, with here? and this is jumping around just a little bit, but can you give any indication of like just because I know some people will be interested. What type of margins you try to get on new construction? 25%, 50 50%, 5%, 2%? 25% is something I've always shot for. 25 yeah. cents on the dollar for anything new construction-wise that we're doing. And that's what every job I still bid, that's where I start out at. And then by the time I'm getting it ready to send out, if I want to compete on that job, I'm sending it out at 15 cents on the dollar wow. right now. And that's, that's just because we've got a lot of, lot of new companies that have popped up in the last year. Think they can do it year, for nothing? Thinking they can do it for nothing and do it cheaper, not understanding business yet. They'll soon enough. They'll be out of the game, or they'll figure it out and be scrambling like we were. Yeah, so. and that's you know I had a sprinkler company in the '90s, the other kind of sprinklers. Yeah, irrigation, and uh, no entry barriers. Guy with a pickup, and a hundred bucks mm-hmm. could go put one in, and they'd last. You know, they do two jobs, go broke. But in the meantime, they're just ruining your market. Finally, okay. we had to get, hey, you want it done right with a warranty or not? Mm-hmm. It's it's so bad right now in the sprinkler market. And, and I've tried to have some conversations with fellow competition and uh, just let them know, hey, listen, guys, <coughs> you know, electrical contractors are making more. HVAC contractors are making more. Everybody's making more money except for us because we're too... Because they don't know their costs. They don't know their cost, and it's like a competition of who can be the cheapest. And I'm like, you guys don't realize how silly that sounds. Right. Who wants to be in a competition of who can be the cheapest? It's a race to the There's bottom. There's no race to race to the bottom. We've got that. No reason. <clears throat> it's it's not sprinklers, but we should do it for the industry. Well, and I think a lot of it are you've got field guys that they've been around it their whole life. They're like, oh, we can go do this. This is easy. Yeah. And then they get into business and, yeah, they can still do the field uh-huh. work. And then they just get destroyed by the administrative side and the cost. And the bonding side, and the insurance. Bonding and the, the insurance. And the payroll the taxes things. and the workers' comp. Right. 
materials. Unemployment. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's easy to bid a bunch of jobs that you know mm-hmm. with no profit on them in the beginning before you have all those costs. But as soon as you start having to man those jobs, yeah. Fun. If you're doing you yeah, if you do all the work up. yourself, what you're doing is getting a wage out of it. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So, so we had that circumstance in uh, the cabinet industry in Tulsa, and we're working right now. Um, to have a meeting amongst people and explain margins and break even and how one percent better margin up your profit. Yeah. Well, and that's something I was also. Just, gonna... just, it's just straight up education. Right. We're not trying to collude or anything else. Say, hey guys, how's that working for you? Not yeah. very well. Let's do something. And that's a. Uh, I haven't had a chance to contact you yet, but I'm uh, I'm on the OFSA board, which Oklahoma Fire Sprinkler Association. For anybody listening, and uh, I'm part of the event. Event, event committee on the event committee chair so we're hosting the our annual boondog we got canceled last year because of covid of course but this year we're having it and my big thing is we have to worry about colluding because you can't talk there's certain things you can talk about amongst members but my big push is is to have understand you your cost come in yeah. and teach some of these people costs because yeah. so many of these people that are bidding jobs they don't understand costs no idea destroying our market yeah. And I'm not trying to say that they're stupid or anything because they're not stupid. No, they just don't have the experience. I, I use the they word. Don't have the I use the word ignorant. Ignorant, ignorant is, is not word. an insult. It just means you don't know. Right. You don't know what you don't and know. And if you're coming from driving a pickup and and working on pipe wrenches, why would you know? You wouldn't. Why would you know? The only stupid thing to do is not go find out. Right. Right. You know, there's been. And, and I'm all for anybody starting a business. If you got a dream, start it and chase it. All for it. But understand what you're doing right, before you yeah. mess it up for everybody else. And this year we've had four <laughs> field guys that have gone out start their and own. started their own business. From your company? Not from ours. This is uh-huh. from in, in the metro area. In the metro area. Two office people, which were basically, they weren't really office people. They were partners in other companies that had a split. Gotcha. More or less. So Interesting. So, um, last thing I'll touch on, and we'll just spend a little bit of time on it. Uh, in 2019, Oklahoma had a law change that allowed... 18. It was 18? Uh-huh. Okay, 2018, Oklahoma had a law change that allowed for uh, medical marijuana. Yeah. And uh, immediately, you were one of the I first players. The entrepreneur. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, tell us a little bit about that. Like, how... I mean... Was it whenever the bill went up, the, the bill was going to be voted on, that you were like, hey, we need to start thinking about this? Uh, we were thinking about it probably... Or right after the vote. No, we were, we were... We had started planning when the petition was still out. We had started doing some soft planning. Gotcha. Just try to, try to get an idea ready of what we'd want to do. And uh, it got pretty serious. And then as soon as it passed, we literally started the company that next morning. Awesome. Did all the paperwork, got it all started. Uh, we were the fifth, 15th or 16th company to get our application in for licensing. Okay. And we were licensed. Uh, the vote passed in June, I think. Yeah. And then we were licensed by October. And, and we weren't built out yet. No. But we had started construction, I think. We'd had construction started about... It was the end of October, early November for our first phase, which was just a flower room, a bedroom, and then kind of another little mother and cloning room. It wasn't yeah. wasn't a whole lot, but it's all we could afford at the time to get into it. 
So tell us a little bit about, you know, the differences in the, in the, you know, cannabis industry versus, you know, fire protection. I know there's a lot, but it's, it's kind of yeah, wild west, isn't fire. it? Yeah. Tell us yeah. a little bit about what, what business practices are like, what competitors are doing, those kinds of things. Well, A, the cannabis business is about the closest thing to having a money printing machine I've ever done. Really? Why is that? You literally had to buy a money counter too, didn't you? Literally. Yeah. It's because everything's, everything's cash basis. It's just, the profit is just insane. Really? I mean, it's it's good money. I mean, we've we've a hundred percent financed that expansion. I mean, we're oh, almost you, two million dollars into that building, free and clear. That's crazy. I want to point something out here, though. You approached cannabis the same way you approached uh, FPS as yes. a real business with capital books, business. looking at costs. Looking at Everything. I mean, there's risk involved. Right. A lot of people who are out there doing it didn't. Yeah. Hey, I've been growing at Grandma's basement for yeah, five years. I'm winging it. Yeah, I get a barn winging out in the country and. A lot of them aren't making it. I've listened to so many books. We took trips up to Colorado doing research, and you know, and I knew quite a bit about cannabis before that. Um, I knew nothing about <laughs> cannabis. Yeah, I don't. Need, I had to look yeah. it up. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> I've always been intrigued by it. So, um, and we did the research, you know. And our biggest thing was this was a once in a lifetime chance to get in on an industry. Right. At the beginning. Prohibited. Yeah. I mean, last time there was a prohibition, Budweiser came out of it. Yeah. Oh, really? Like that. Well, I mean, yeah. I'm just saying. Yeah. You know, yeah. No. I, huge company. Yeah. So not that we're going to be a huge company someday, but the whole idea is, is yes, we want to sell sooner rather than later because there's so many people out there that want to get into the cannabis business that have the funds but don't know anything about it. And, you know, they don't want to start from fresh. They want to buy something that's established, that, has a good footprint. Just, know, just ready observation, it's not just that you have a building and you've done your building right and so on. you got a lot of processes and systems that against disease, bugs, right. uh, to grow the right kind of stuff, survivability, tracking. There are all these rules on tracking your inventory Absolutely. stuff, right? Like Absolutely. If it's ridiculous, some of it. What? And it's you've got that all figured out. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. worth as much as the building. You know, I talked to a guy recently, and he said that cannabis businesses, well-established cannabis businesses, are getting anywhere from an 8 to 12 multiplier on well, the EBITDA. Yeah. Man. It's crazy. Which puts our business well over $30 million Yeah, worth. Which is, blows me away, because I started that business with $10,000 in my pocket. Yep. I mean, it was. I mean, we, we borrowed some money from another guy. We need to do a. Me and, and my you're brother kind of a, you're a major fan. We need to do that with nothing. We, we yeah. need to do a podcast. Yeah, maybe we'll come maybe. back and we'll bring your partner. I don't know whether it's yeah. manufacturing and, and we'll, or uh, uh, contract, but it has elements of both. Yeah, we well, can, he's we can an do insurance that. guru. Mm. His background's insurance. He can't really do that much anymore. He's transitioned. He runs 100% of the cannabis operation now. So yeah. that way I can focus on FPS and. I mean, I still have responsibilities over there. It's more or less sales than anything now. That construction's done, but... Yeah. Are you guys planning on building another facility or no? We're not doing anything this year. We're catching up over there. <laughs> this is a catch-up year. Because here's the thing. Like, I keep explaining to my wife, like, hey, we're going to stop spending money soon. <laughs> like, we're making, we're making money, but... Everything's being spent somewhere. Yeah, everything's being spent to expand. I mean, yeah. like just say we, we had our first side done. The, we, we got this big warehouse and it was split up into thirds. And we built out that third 
and we operated for a year out of that third. And then we were able to generate enough money to pay off all of our initial investment and then to fund the expansion. Wow. And to pay for all the operation costs during that. So our key was is to max it out this year, stack back as much as we can, and then next year we're gonna build a 6,000 square foot greenhouse on the west side of the building. So we'll add some greenhouse space to it, and then we're gonna convert some of our rooms over to LED rooms and double stack them. So we're adding we're adding square footage without right. adding square footage. Yeah. More right. from less efficiency. Right. Right. And we weren't really bought in on the LED growing techniques at first. And we would never you have are a LED, aren't you? whole farm. No, no, no. We're all 100% HPS and CMH. That's why I've got 300 tons of air conditioning in that building. <laughs> I have no uh, idea. What you don't need is. them at all for uh, sulfur, whatever. We would call them sulfur lights or uh, they're high pressure sodium. High pressure sodium, sodium lights. Yeah. Yeah. High pressure sodium and then ceramic halide. So. Okay. It's kind of a mixed spectrum, okay. but we've started to embrace some of the LED growing, and we're seeing that it's really, it's really doing good. So we're going to convert a couple Technology of our rooms. Advances. Yeah. This is awesome. So those yeah. huge, that massive HVAC unit outside that I've seen, mm -hmm. this is not necessary with LED. No, because huh? <laughs> that thing is huge. Yeah. yeah, that would be it. Would be like a quarter of that size. Oh wow! If it was just a big LED room, if not more, if not less than that. Yeah. So crazy. Uh, yeah, it's just been, I mean, that, that's been a wild ride there. I mean, the, the negative part of it is, is I was over all the construction and I designed the facility. I laid it out. I managed the construction of it. That, that took a lot of my time and attention away from FPS, mm -hmm. you know, which, which FPS is my bread and butter. That's my career. That's yeah. how I look at things. And, uh, you know, Arbuckle Farms, that's my cash. That's sure. My, that's my pocket cash. You know, less, that's, that's my thing. savings. That's my retirement. Right. Whatever you want to call it. Sure. As we're winding it up too, though, I want to make an overarching kind of comment that people, a lot of people make it. She says, I'm not doing anything because of the opportunity you had to offer. Opportunity is freaking everywhere. It's everywhere. And we're talking to a guy. It's, it's to have the cojones to recognize it and then to take action on it. And so we've heard too, FPS would start out as safety, but fire prevention getting bigger and bigger. All the individual things you did, like hiring Kalen. Uh, taking a risk on the financing, uh, finally turning things over to a project manager, then yeah. getting into cannabis, doing it again, doing it right. Mm -hmm. Opportunities are everywhere yeah, for all of us. It's, if, it's not because there aren't opportunities. If, yeah, if, be ready to roll them dice. Right. And I'm a dice roller. Yeah. <laughs> and, that, and that really, for our listeners, uh, we don't want people to go drive off a cliff and chase a butterfly or something, but... To, to make a rational decision, to take a risk, to roll the dice and do it. Yep. Do your due diligence and yep. then decide if you're going to toss those dice. Yeah. I've got I, another it, client, Paul Casperson. He says, good things come to those who wait, but not to those who hesitate. And I he, like that. What's his, um, his other one? Yes, he says, I may be wrong, but I'm never in doubt. <laughs> <laughs> but those two things combined really you know yeah. be ready and then well i don't know i'm scared and well it went right on by yeah i think i think another thing is that people can take from this is that someday is not a day of the week that you've got to you've got to take action on Ooh, things I heard that and i think weird. i think also um just like you said opportunities out there op there's opportunity to trust people and you you know you were trusted by dennis and that led, I mean, there's other things that led to it, but that was right. part of your story of you trusting Kalen 
and now trusting this new uh, college graduate up in Tulsa. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's people sitting around there saying, I can't find anybody to hire. There's nobody good out there. But if they would just trust in some of the people and, and let go a little bit and delegate, they can have a Chris Pettigrew running their division of their company for nine years and you, help them get established. You, yeah, you're totally right on the trust factor. I mean, and the other thing is, is you may have the you may have a rock star already in your employment. Absolutely, pool. you don't even know. And about you've been so you've you had your thumb know. on them, so they would. You have to know your employees. Right. We've started doing quarterly reviews where I go out to each division manager, give them a sheet of paper. I was like, I want every person reviewed. And then they're detailed reviews. Like they have to put some mm -hmm. thought in them. Mm -hmm. And then I get everybody's reviews back and then I go through and grade them into a spreadsheet. And I've changed people's positions based on what those reviews have turned because yep. I felt like they're better suited. And now they're succeeding better. Like one guy we sent to the alarm side that was on the sprinkler side. He was just... In the wrong place. He was in the wrong place. You know, mm -hmm. it's just utilizing people, identifying what your person, what your employee is good at, and then utilizing them to where they're going to be best suited for themselves and for the company. Mm. You know, it's not That's always great. about the company. I'm I'm big on making sure the employees are thriving and are hitting their goals too. Yeah. You know, because if they're not, if they're just coming here and it's just everything, everything our company, it's not a good relationship long street. term. Yeah. So. Uh, you know, but trust, you know, Emily, my wife couldn't do this without her. She, uh, she's been a big reason of all the success mm -hmm. and a big reason for keeping me grounded. So I can almost guarantee you there's some, some dice I would have rolled. I shouldn't have rolled. <laughs> from and, uh, we clash a lot over some of the decision makings because she's numbers money in money out and i'm potential future yeah right you know prospect, prospect. makes sense makes sense mm. you know yeah and that that's kind of something but i feel like without her having me somewhat tied to the ground mm. i feel like that makes me help helps me make better decisions when i am ready to toss those dice on things you're not scared yeah. to talk to the banker but you are scared to talk to him <laughs> yeah, i don't know if i want to bring that up with him no, oh, that, there's I, that old. I'm about tired of my banker. They're kind of <laughs> getting annoying. I'm looking for a new one. <laughs> well, there's that old expression or old description of mom and pop business, and mm -hmm. I think some people think of it as a little bit disparaging. It is not at all, yeah. not at all. I mean, it's a classic. You yeah. know, and usually, not always, but usually, mom's running the administrative stuff and dad's out in the field. Right. That's not always the case, especially not nowadays, but. But do you have those, just what you said, you got that yin and yang, that balance. Mm -hmm. And Emily's more like John right. Quiet. Than, than me. Quiet, calculated, you know. Me, I'm just like. Yeah, we should have had, had John in here for this podcast because every now and then we'd be here. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And that'd be about what we, hey, John, how you doing? Mm -hmm. It's more of like, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but he kicks butt. Man of words. Yeah. 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 yeah, that is what he gets. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but he kicks great. butt. Yeah, Love John. In his area. He, and I I notice all the time, too, when things are kind of stressful. John's just kind of calm. Maybe he's not, but he looks that way. He does. 
He's, Unless he's got that hair twirl thing going on. Well, yeah. He's wadding he, up that cowlick. <laughs> <laughs> That's how he expresses it. Yeah. Well, my great. wife, she'll she'll do that twirl yeah, that hair thing. Hair, I know she's going to have it or something. She's doing that. Well, so, Chris, how can people connect with you? Uh, you know, Learn more. Yeah, learn more about you. FPS-technologies.com. It's your That's website. our website. LinkedIn. Yeah, you're on LinkedIn. We'll link to that in the show notes. Chris We're on Facebook, but I don't get on Facebook anymore, so that would probably not be the best place sure. to contact us, yeah. even though I would eventually get the message. But uh, really just call in our office, 405-842-8708, or going to our URL. Okay, awesome. Well, hey, we'll, we'll definitely have you back maybe in your business partner talk about Arbuckle a little bit. Yeah. And probably great. with that, talk about family business as well. I mean, yeah. there's a whole yeah. lot that can we, we can learn about that. Well, so. family business, I mean, that's that's huge. And, yeah. I, and I like the mom and Paul thing. I've always been big about running our business like a mom and Paul company internally, but having the image of a corporation. Yep. Yeah. You know. Yep. Well, and mom, mom and Paul implies trust. That's I mean, that's it. what it implies that's because it. that's your partner. And family. And, and family and uh, disparate expertise. Cliche to say, but like I said, dad's in the field, mom's doing all the admin work. And that's not sexist nowadays, it's reversed. Dad's doing it, I don't care. But that's what it is, and if you can bring that into a bigger company, it doesn't have to be a husband and wife. We spend more time with each other, co-workers and colleagues and employees. We technically spend more time with each other active than we do our own families. Right. Hmm. Not that we're, true. you know. Yeah, awake. And it's just, to me, you have to you have to be a tight knit group. You have to have a good culture. You have to be like family, and that's why we're very particular about who we let in our circle. Yeah, you know, they've got to fit the fit the mold, or they won't. They can come ruin in. it. Absolutely, yeah. and and people people are comfortable working. I mean, I have people working for me that say they're the happiest they've ever been in their lives working here. Yeah, and that's a big deal because anybody that knows me knows I can be a complete <laughs> yeah we a hole. <laughs> People listening can tell if you're not doing your job. <laughs> of course, they, yeah, sure, you know. sure. But the thing about that, I mean, I'm always going to build you back up and coach you. Yeah, yeah. after I tear Richard you down. Richard Branson, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it takes a whole different direction. It came up yesterday. Richard Branson said he's not concerned with his customers; he's concerned with his employees. Because if he takes care of them and they're happy and they're doing it, the customers are delighted. Oh, yeah. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and you letting your employees know when a customer raves on you. Yeah. Right. If you're not doing that, you need to start. Mm -hmm. Because that means so much to those guys. Absolutely. And, you know, there's sometimes I'll just be driving down the road and I'll pick up the phone and start calling guys. Just let them know they're doing a good job. Yeah, absolutely. Regardless of if I even know what they're doing. Yep. It's just, it's important. Affirmation is huge to people. Catch them doing something right. Yeah. Oh. It's well, been a pleasure, guys. Thank you hey, so much, Chris. Enjoy it. We'll, uh, we'll see you soon. Bye. Thanks for listening to The Cashflow Contractor. Check out our website in the show notes or visit thecashflowcontractor.com.